0: I like to move and move it. I like to move and move it. I like to move and move it. You like to move it. I like to move and move it. I like to move and move it. I like to move it, move You
1: like to move it. I like to move it, move I like to move it, move I like to move it, move You like to move it. Cone chomper heads, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, welcome to I Like To Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully. My name is ah, Garrett Smith. That's that's my impression of a conehead. I I actually forget his name.
2: I mostly just repeated your sound because I don't really remember anything about coneheads. They're just always going,
1: and it's very funny that everyone thinks that they're humans from France. (laughs) When I got my new television, uh, because it was such a fucking shit show to acquire it, yeah when I finally got it, I only had like a good like half hour before I had to go to bed. and I was like, what do I watch? Like I gotta use it for a little bit. And the first thing that happened was just Coneheads was on Netflix. I was like, let's watch Coneheads. Perfect. And the beauty of Coneheads is that is watching a half hour puts you like past the halfway point of the movie. <laughs> it's a very, very short movie. But I forgot that that movie is like, goddamn brilliant. It's so fucking funny
2: uh yeah i don't i mean i saw that movie like as a kid i don't really remember that movie very well
1: go on youtube and <laughs> look up the scene where adam sandler is the like uh sort of like mobster guy that's hooking him up with his earth identity oh my god it i don't even remember
2: that he's hilarious
1: yeah, like everything he does, is like, all right, so what's your name? And he's like, ah, my name is blah, 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 from where He's like, very good. Nice to meet you. What's the weather like And blah, blah, blah. And like, he's just, it's a really good thing of schmooze where Adam Sandler's super smooth and Dan Aykroyd is Coneheads.
2: It is and, uh, weird to think about the two of them on screen together, actually. I, it's I, strange. I, you just sold me on watching this movie just to have that experience.
1: Dude, if you're, if, if you don't remember who's in it, I'll remind you that uh, the answer to that is everyone. Oh yeah. Everyone is, is it in like
2: it. everybody that was on SNL at that time?
1: Everybody that was on SNL, like Michael McKeon shows up. Yeah, uh he's in it. He's actually really great in it. Um and just, just like everybody. Everybody's in it, and it's a very funny movie. It's just, you know, it's it's insanely high concept in the way that only Dan Aykroyd seems to be able to pull off when he manages to pull it off.
0: Yes, yeah. You know,
1: it's it's very funny. And Jane Curtin is just <laughs> like crazy. Uh it's so good.
2: Uh, I, now I kind of do want to revisit that I That's literally a movie that I kind of wrote off In my head as like I probably never need to watch that again
1: Dude it's cool and there's like good Effects work it's yeah. a really fun Sci-fi thing um, What's funny is I, I watched it as a kid There's this one joke where um, He always is like chewing gum And he offers them chewing gum And as a kid I thought it was funny Because he blows his bubbles weird What I didn't understand is that He's just chewing on a condom and inflating it <laughs> And so throughout the movie, that's like a regular thing. It's chewing gum. And, he, and then like, oh, my like God, it's so weird. And I just thought it was a funny joke. Like, oh, yeah, he's an alien. He blows his bubblegum weird. And then watching it recently, I was like, oh, he's sucking on a condom. That's
2: so strange.
1: <laughs> it's so strange. The whole movie is is fucking crazy strange. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the episode that we have today. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, just the Cone Tomaheads
2: uh well i'm excited about today's episode because uh we're gonna do the friends of eddie coyle directed by peter yates uh because i just watched his movie the hot rock we talked about
1: this a little bit on a previous yeah, episode i'm still gonna watch that i've not watched it, it yet
2: it was killer and it like made me want to watch this because like i guess peter yates has like a sort of like loose trilogy of like crime movies I've, i heard somebody talking about this and describing this recently uh um, is the other one bullet i i guess so right like okay because
1: bullet rocks
2: yeah. Bullet is real good. I watched that for the first time this year. Uh, oh, nice. And, and thought that was great. I think that's got to be it, right? I'm looking at the rest of his career here, and I think that's got to be the third one, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, Friends of Eddie Coyle, Hot Rock, and and Bullet. Because uh, what are these? These are 68, 73, 72. Yeah, these are all, like, you know, within five years of each other, right? Um, yeah, and
1: I feel like that's just something that directors do, where they're like, it's my Coronetto trilogy. That's not a trilogy, <laughs> yeah. but it is. Do you remember... Back before America got wind of Coronado trilogy, when it was called the Blood and Ice Cream trilogy,
2: I do have a memory of that. And I, it but, disappeared
1: entirely, and that's yeah. what I always knew it as until the world's end. And everyone's like, "Oh, another Coronado." I was like, "I don't know what that is."
2: I th- I think I don't know what I guess like Coronado is maybe the British kind of like word for that ice cream. Yeah, it's, it's the brand, like, we would
1: have a drumstick. I, right. I ate one when I was in uh, London a couple years back, just so that I could. But it, was, it wasn't until the world's end that I understood that was what this trilogy was called, and everybody called it that. And I was like, when did we give up on Blood and Ice Cream? I thought that's what it was. I kind
2: of wonder, though, if that was, like, the American rebranding. Yeah, could have been. And, you know, it started with Shaun of the Dead, which is, like, not a pre-internet movie, but like a, a pre-like film Twitter movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And by the time you get to World's End, it's like we don't need American rebranding anymore. Like it's called the court. We we're aware of Britain and accept them, and the, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's now yeah, yeah. now it's all part of one lexicon. It's no longer needs like a uh, an American version. So I, I maybe it's something like that.
1: Probably. I mean that makes sense. Yeah. But I just I I always liked blood and ice blood cream. And ice That's cream. just such a <laughs> yeah. really badass thing. I don't know. It's so cool.
2: I think there was like an American box set of the first two movies that was called that or something,
1: right? Yeah, that could that that could possibly be it. Yeah. Um, I just feel like back in the early days that. of like Chud and stuff, it was referred yeah. to it on like Chud dot com.
0: Right.
2: I do remember that. But but it, it sounded familiar as soon as you said it. But yeah, I I like mostly noticed the Cornetto trilogy. So it really has like fallen out of fashion i suppose
1: i also remember i forget what movie i was seeing but there was a trailer before the movie for like it, it was right in the glut of of like the twilight era and there was this movie that was called blood and chocolate and it's like a werewolf kind of thing i don't really know anything about it and Is it was one of the movie? that's funny I, maybe or maybe it's a vampire movie yeah. I, I could give a shit i just remember that trailer coming on before a movie and everyone was like dead silent during the trailer. And then when it was like coming soon, blood and chocolate and the whole theater just burst into laughter. It was yeah, one kind of, of just... those weird moments where everyone's like, we're all on board that this is dumb as shit. Right? Yeah. This is ridiculous. <laughs> was... Right. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty ridiculous. That's but I, So maybe that has something to do with blood and ice cream went the way of blood and chocolate.
2: Yeah. Oh, that actually that, uh, that makes its own kind of sense. Yeah. That, that
1: it could be, it's a lot of things. It's, it's yeah. you know, like everything, it's not quite black and white. Yeah, yeah. It's blood and chocolate.
2: Uh, okay, I'm like super excited to talk about the, the yeah, friends let's do it. of Eddie Coyle, of Edward Coyle. Uh, now, this yeah. is
1: based on a book. I do okay. know that. Okay. Uh, which makes sense in the way that it is structured. I want to pull out the author's name if I can find it.
2: Yeah, because like uh, that does kind of make sense immediately because like Peter Boyle is second build in this movie, but like has very minimal screen time, you know, like he's yeah. no, he's kind of like peppered throughout the plot line until the finale when he really gets like uh you know kind of some significant screen time
1: so this is based on a novel by george v higgins and when i click on george v Higgins's name oh he passed in 1999 but he has a credit if you remember um a movie came out uh, let's see in 2012 by andrew dominic called killing them softly Yeah, I remember
2: that.
0: Yeah.
1: Great movie. Also based on a novel by George V. Higgins. Okay. Um, It's great. He's like, uh, oh, holy shit. Those are his only two writing credits. Really? Yeah. The books for Friends of Eddie Quill and Killing Them Softly. And he also played himself twice. Once on The Tonight Show, where he was a guest. And once (laughs) on The Dick Cavett Show, where he was also a guest. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's that. Wow. Okay. That's very interesting. It is quite interesting because Killing Them Softly has a very similar uh, modus operandi as the Friends of Eddie Coyle did. Okay. Oh, that's fascinating to know. Wow. Okay. Uh
2: yeah. And so it's Robert Mitchum. It's Peter Boyle. Uh I recognized some of the other actors, like Stephen Keats, I feel like I've seen in some stuff before. Um, I don't know if there was any but I'm trying to see if there's anybody else in here. I know I recognized a couple faces.
1: Um, but well, it's like one of them, one of the cops. Was uh, I recognized him as the guy who uh, Jim Carrey works for in Liar Liar?
2: Whoa! Yeah. And okay.
1: um, yeah, and and you know the the guy I love a good roast. That guy <laughs> he was he was like the the superior to the cop that they're all getting money from. Interesting. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of a uh, bunch of recognizable faces, not all with recognizable names. Right. Um, the one guy is uh, from The Godfather. Uh, the guy who leads the heists.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't recognize him. That's interesting.
1: Um,
2: yeah. And uh, uh, Robert Mitchum plays Eddie Coyle and he's like this criminal that's, uh, I guess, just gotten out of prison, right? That's like kind of the
0: idea.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know if he's just gotten out of prison, but he did a significant amount of time.
0: Right. Right. right.
1: And so he's not so eager to go back. Yes, and I think that the story as it sets up is he took a job that he didn't quite realize was
0: criminal. They're right,
1: got caught, and it's looking like he's gonna go back and do some time, and this is what's being managed throughout this movie.
2: Yeah, right. And I, it, the idea is that like that crime happened in New Hampshire. He's now living in Massachusetts, around mm. Boston uh and so has to like travel to new hampshire to like you know uh for sentencing i believe yeah because it was a
1: truck driving gig right right he thought it was a driving gig and then it turned out that he was transporting i forget what it was some kind of stolen goods
0: okay interesting yeah yeah
2: yeah. okay that helps me a little bit i i wasn't sure i fully grasped all of those details because a lot of this movie that this is one of the things that's great about this movie a lot of this movie happens in i, I don't even know how to describe it but like roundabout crime dialogue it's yeah, like yeah. Coded coded crime language where they're never really talking about what they're talking about. They're talking around what they're talking about, you know, Yeah, um, which makes all the scenes like really interesting. They can be really fun and funny. They can kind of be scary, but it also made it a little, I had a little bit of trouble with some of the details. I mostly followed it, but I felt like some of the time I was a little like, okay, what?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I feel you. It's, it's all very intrigued, which I think adds to the realism of it yes um and then the other thing worth pointing out is peter boyle's character dylan he's the one that hired him for that job
2: yes and he's like a local yeah. bartender but that's obviously like a front for like part of this like criminal operation that i think he's a part of right
1: yeah because he's he's like clean now if you will yeah. but they have that great exchange where he was like listen man i'm all on the up and up i got a liquor license they're like no no, no yes. you work for a guy who has a liquor license he's like hey what <laughs> sure but what you know what of it like, uh, yeah yeah right everybody right. works for guy yeah, got a liquor license you, <laughs> yeah, you know like yeah, yeah. what's a liquor license right yes
2: uh yeah i liked that this movie takes place in and around boston uh that's where my partner Tori is from and so as they're talking about places like brookline and stuff i actually have like because of you know recent years going up there i have like a little bit of like context for yeah, yeah. what they're talking about and the neighborhoods they're discussing and why it might matter that they're talking about one neighborhood versus another or whatever. So that was kind of fun for me, you know? That was kind of Mm. my first experience getting to do that with with a movie. But I also thought it was very funny that Robert Mitchum, who has this very distinct voice, is also trying to pitch it like a little bit Boston accent. And it sounds very funny every time he's trying to do it. He was like a little bit trying to do the cat and a little bit doing oh, yeah. the park. and it like it sounds real funny when it's coming out of his mouth, you know.
1: I didn't even really think about the accents so much because yeah. it wasn't until like a little bit deeper into the movie where I was like, oh yeah, this is Boston, right? um it's Because not heavy, to, yeah, and which is. I think probably a good thing because, as I understand it, Bostonians who love the departed, yeah, yeah. Uh, all make fun of the accents in that movie. <laughs> right. Um, outside of Matt Damon, who's from the area, yeah, and uh, this one it was it, the reason I didn't put it together that it was Boston is just because everyone just kind of talks like they're from the city. Yes. You know, yes. we're just criminals from the city. It's so what For we do. And sure. you know, like it just sort of had that that aesthetic to
2: the voice there was it was very funny to me that like there were definitely a couple of times where he was like trying it on uh yeah, because yeah. it was i would just be like i would hear something strange and be like what are you doing and then i'd like listen in and he'd be doing kah, kah. Yeah. and I, like it was just very funny to me
1: it's like i just need you to go up there and pack here yeah
2: because ha- <laughs> like, i don't know where he's from but he sounds very much like texas southern to me you know uh, mm-hmm. so it was like, it was very funny. Uh, listen to him, like try it on throughout the movie. Uh, but uh, he's great in this. Like I always like him, but him as like this, like withered guy that is just like trying to eke out some kind of comfortable existence for the remaining years that he has. Uh, I don't know. It, it felt, uh, it almost felt like he was playing himself in some way. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he had, As I understand it, he sort of had, like, he was one of those guys who had two careers. Right, right. You know, like, he had the career, uh, trying to think of a way of who I can compare it to. He just had a career as a younger, uh, you know, younger looking guy. And then when he became older, they were like, we can still use him. His voice is iconic, but now that his face is a little more punched up, you know, we can use him in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I I wish I knew more about his career To really speak up on that Because yeah. I've only really seen him In uh, uh, Night of the Hunter uh, Cape Fear The yeah. other Cape Fear <laughs> and uh, this.
2: I saw him in a movie called Like what the hell was it called God it was a noir Where he played the Philip Marlowe character um, Okay Who I had only ever seen played otherwise By um, uh, Elliot Gould uh, And yeah, yeah. you know and he's, like, a way different read on that character than Elliot Gould is. And so it was, like, kind of fascinating to, like, watch him, you know, portray the same character, but in such a kind of, like, Robert Mitchum way, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. very different than
1: Elliot Gould's energy, you know? I mean, if you can... Uh, have you seen either of the Cape Fears? I have not. You really should. I watched them back-to-back, back, like you know, one day and the next day, a couple years back. Yeah. And his Max Katie is very different from De Niro's Max Katie, as you can probably understand. Sure. But they still kind of triggered the same sort of, of uh, like, like fear in the viewer. Okay. They both have a, uh, his presence is one that's more imposing. I think we could reference it back to Night of the Hunters. It's just like a scummier guy, as opposed to, you know, putting on airs of class like he does in that movie. Right. Whereas, the De Niro version, like you can, you can smell him. He, <laughs> he's just like such a scummy piece of shit. Both of those movies are really fantastic. I really want to watch them. And you know how I love clouds and skies in movies?
2: Yeah, they Who both have a lot of them? Cape
1: Fear has some skies, baby. All right, oh all right. man, it's, it's some good stuff. Nolte's great, fantastic. But in that one, uh, you know, in the, in the remake, they tapped uh, Mitchum to play like a good guy role oh that's like the fun tag yeah it's it's pretty cool uh
2: by the way the movie i was referencing i looked it up is called farewell my lovely
1: okay uh, I've it's heard like of that. A yeah. a
2: noir yeah. from 1975 pretty good i liked that yeah. movie um but uh by the way i've not seen any of the cape, cape fears but i did recently watch fear for the first time and uh boy what a movie yeah
1: oh that movie's crazy
2: it's real crazy
1: and it's it, not very good <laughs> I, I honestly
2: i enjoyed it a lot in the full yeah. view of time the funniest thing about it is that it just kind of feels like a documentary about mark Wahlberg at <laughs> yeah. that time in his life you know
1: yeah i i am um, that movie's iconic and it's a lot of fun i remember when i finally caught up with that though I was just like oh this is just stupid i got it
2: <laughs> it's crazy i'm yeah. like the only other thing that i have ever seen uh what the hell's his name in Uh, The guy that plays the dad in
1: it. Uh, It's been long enough that I don't remember. uh,
2: Manhunter uh, is the only other thing I've seen him in. William Peterson. William Peterson. Yeah. And Manhunter is the only other thing I've seen him in, which is a wild performance, him playing Will Graham in that movie. And this performance is so totally different than that. You know, like he is playing like just a totally different character than than that Will Graham performance. And I was like, the whole thing was like such a wild ride for me. I.
1: Fear was I gotta fun. watch it again. It's it really been a while. I remember the roller coaster. Yeah. I remember the uh-huh. <laughs> hitting himself, mostly because they reference that on Always Sunny when <laughs> Dennis gets married and immediately wants a divorce. Oh, I think I lost you.
2: Oh, I'm here. I'm just laughing at you.
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And he immediately wants a divorce and he's yelling at his wife and she just starts doing that. He's like, Oh, she's doing fear, bro. That's fair. We gotta go. <laughs> I remember that now. Yeah. Oh, That's it's funny. great. Uh, but um yeah so yeah let's get into the plot of this movie i think that's really the way that we're gonna have to tackle this because this is a movie that is kind of plot forward and the character rises out of that yeah um it plays on our assumptions of what mitchum represents kind of like what we're talking about he is this tired old dog yeah so the movie uh sort of begins with like we said he is not necessarily fresh out of the big house but he's Certainly not willing to go back. He certainly spent way too much time there and it's understood that the reason he spent so much time there is because he was not willing to roll over on anyone else. Right. He's right. not a snitch. He did the good thing. And this is evidenced by an amazing scene right at the beginning where he's meeting his contact because his job right now, how he's making ends meet is he supplies guns for a group of bank robbers. Right. He's the middleman between the source and the bank robbers. And so he tells that story about his knuckles.
2: Yeah. Well, can you explain that story to me? What 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 is he? I didn't fully follow what he was talking about with his knuckles there. Well,
1: I love that he's got this great way of saying it where the guy's just like, yeah, you know, like the, uh, his source essentially says, like, you don't really know what you're talking about. And he's like, oh, right. I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, why don't you count your knuckles? And he's like, well, which ones? He's like, count them all. You know what, count all of them if you want. Whatever you get to, I got at least three times that. And so his hand is wounded. And so the story that he tells is one of, he was caught doing something, by right. the wrong people. And when he wouldn't talk, they made him talk by putting his hand in a drawer and kicking it shut. Right. So that it would break his fingers.
2: Oh, so he has more knuckles because they shattered the knuckles. Because that they has. shattered his okay, knuckles. Okay, okay, so yeah. Got it, got it, so his
1: hand has been broken so many times from that. And so the suggestion here, if we're going to get into the theme yeah. is that it wasn't until he was particularly very threatened that he was willing to give up anybody
0: right right you know
1: and so he took he did the time when he got caught by the cops because he wasn't willing to roll over on anybody um when he got caught by you know another criminal doing whatever they literally had to torture it out of him right so he's been around the block he's seen some things he's got three times as many knuckles because his fingers were shattered
2: which is funny that uh, one of the things i like about the movie is he tells that great story and the uh that character that he's talking to is the character that stephen keats plays i believe yeah um and uh it, it is a really interesting character throughout the movie, but he like the way he tells that story to him is like, he's in charge and he's telling this kind of great story, uh, you know, that is a great lesson that he can impart to this like younger person in the crime game.
1: Right. Oh, he Uh, sees himself as the old wise man who's been around the block. Yeah. Right. Uh,
2: But then later in the movie, we meet characters that are like more on Eddie's level or maybe even above Eddie in this kind of hierarchy of crime and they refer to him as Eddie Fingers. They don't call him like Eddie Knuckles. They don't call him like Eddie Four. They call him Eddie Fingers. I I think think that's an
1: important distinction to make because I think he sees himself as more respected than he is.
2: Yes, right, exactly.
1: And that's sort of at the key of the themes of this movie, and I don't want to dig too far into that yet, Yeah. but there's certainly something going on there where he sees himself as a wise and old man because he takes pride in the fact that he didn't roll over. Right, right. He did what you're supposed to do but as we learn about his uh, the friends of Eddie Coyle there's there's more to it than that yes yes yeah so yeah he's acquiring guns for a group of guys uh led by I'm not gonna know the actor's name off the top of my head um is this uh Richard Jordan's character and we should point out that uh his gun source the character's name is Jackie Brown yes
2: yes correct
1: uh, uh, the character, so Jimmy Scalise, uh, played by Alex Rocco of Godfather fame. He played Mo Green in the Godfather.
2: Oh yes, okay, I got gotcha. you right. Yeah. Okay, okay.
1: And so he leads a group of bank robbers. That probably my two favorite scenes in the uh, in the movie were the bank robbing scenes. Yes, and I think this speaks to uh, Yates as a director, and whoever is his editor does a really fantastic job. Pat Pat Jaffe is their name and she actually doesn't have a lot of credits she's also 96 years old and still kicking holy moly so uh well we love you yeah pat jaffe and um because they're not very flashy these scenes they're very much procedural but i love the methodology of how they rob these banks (laughs) it's a really fantastic way it's kind of a a great way to do it it's not walking into the the bank guns a blazing writing your name in the wall with a tommy gun it's none of that <laughs> it's not you know passing a note to them it's getting the bank manager at home right holding their family hostage bringing them to work and then having them essentially do the robbery for them while they just work security
0: yes yes yeah
2: where it's like i get the you know their assumption is that like oh if we threaten this particular person like they know everything that we need to know and their employees will just like follow their lead and listen to them when they enter the yeah. bank and say like, don't press any buttons, don't call any police, like please just listen to these men. And it works for them. They hit like, what, three banks just over the course of the movie that we see? Three banks in the in the movie. Yeah, right? only one that and, and, goes poorly. Yeah, yeah. And I think they imply that they might have already been on a string of these like before we even meet them in the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, if I remember right.
1: The cops do refer to that they're, that this is a thing that's been happening. Right, yeah.
2: Um, which is, in, you know, that in and of itself I thought was interesting that these crimes are just kind of like happening on a spree around the same community. Uh, yeah. And all they really need to do is just like they have different masks every time and it seems like they're evading the the police to that point, you know?
1: I mean, it's a pretty clean crime if you, yeah. if you think about it. Though, if If it goes well it's pretty clean the money is federally insured right so right. there's not really that much of an urgency to do it people typically don't get hurt right um but I, I what i like about the their style of robbing a bank is that it's patient yeah yeah it's not a big intense heist right it's just they walk through the motions they do it and i think that's why it works and i think that's why it was so exciting to watch because i'm so used to you know either a dog day afternoon or a public enemies or yeah. like a heist heist you know like yes. a, like an ocean's 11 kind of thing and no this is just like it's a job if you will yeah yeah
0: yeah it
2: re- you know it reminded me of like thief right where the 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 robbery is literally like a job it's like a, a methodical thing that they're doing it's a process yeah. that they have to go through basically and like you said it was it was pretty exciting to watch a bank robbery that felt like this is how a bank robbery would happen if a bank robbery happened in front of me. You know what yeah. I mean? The Like you said, there's no like specialized tools. There's no like uh fucking like big drill, <laughs> you know, yeah, no torch,
1: none of yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a matter of getting to the bank before it opens, yeah. cleaning it out, getting out. Um, I think what makes that first robbery work so well is that the, the bank manager that they grab gives this really incredible performance. It's a oh, small yeah. performance It's, he looks terrified the entire time, but it's exactly the kind of thing, like, how should I put it? You get the sense immediately that he's terrified, but actually trusts that these guys, because there's a history of these robberies, really don't want to hurt anybody. Right. Really don't want anything but the money and is just like basically biding his time until it's over so that he can get it done. And that's even more terrifying to me because I kept putting myself in his shoes, especially when they say like, you're going to go up to that door, you're going to go in and I'm going to start my watch and you're going to have a minute.
0: Right.
1: If that door is not open for us in a minute, I'm going to signal my guy who's on the phone with my guy at your house. And he's going to do something to your wife and kids. And what I love about that and what's so terrifying about that is it puts the ball in that guy's court. So if something goes wrong, even if, You know, even if it's just so much as like a slight delay on that minute, that poor guy has to live with the fact that, yeah, those guys murdered his wife and kids. But in some type of way, it's my own fault because I didn't do the instructions right. Right. That's a fucked up way to think of it. But I can't think of anybody on the planet who wouldn't have that nagging in their head if so things were to go wrong. And that thought is definitely on that actor's face. Yeah. It's terrifying. It left Uh, me so unsettled.
2: Is that the scene where like we see his wife and child like at the dining room? Yeah. And then the camera moves into the room and reveals that they are under duress and under gun uh from yes. like the rest of the team.
0: That was it's beautifully st- done. Cause such the team is like shot. going
1: through his breakfast, getting his coffee and all that. Yeah. And he walks in and then we see uh we kind of get like the 180 rule it goes around the other way and we see around the corner his two guys I love that I'm, I'm visually gesturing on an I audio know. show but yeah guys around the corner that are holding them you know holding them hostage
0: dude
2: I, that shot I thought was awesome like I don't know I feel like I it was one of those shots where I was like I can't believe I don't see this in every movie why doesn't every movie have a scene where this happens it's such like an exciting reveal I think now we would do it
1: showier and right. I think that's one of the things that that really got me about this movie is it's not really showy, right? It's, it's like just clinical, crafted. kind of right? Yeah, yeah very yeah. clinical, very crafted. It's not very showy. It's not very sweeping. The showiest thing about it is the absolutely killer soundtrack. Yeah, but the uh, yeah. In terms of the filmmaking, it's just sharp. Yeah, it yeah. shows you everything you need to know when you need to know it. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's kind of cool. I found that comforting in a way and it had like elements like it has that that feel of like a 70s grindhouser but because it's not being bombastic about anything there's not dummy work it's right. much more it just feels classy I think clinical is the word yeah
2: and it, it uh does look great like it's got that kind of like you know grimy late night photography but of a city that's not New York yeah. um, so you you get some like towards the end of this movie there's like a, a, a long sequence in a billiards parking lot that just has like neon lights on you know a wet concrete for you know like 60 straight seconds and i was like i I love i love this this is i want this to be a poster on my wall you know
1: dude i was watching a diamonds are forever the other day uh the bond movie yeah not terribly good i actually didn't much care for it yeah but there's a car chase through old Vegas that Hell yeah. shot in 1960s style. Hell yeah. And oh uh, It was like I could have I could have just lived in that world forever. <laughs> but that I immediately thought of that during specifically that, that uh pool hall scene.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the whole movie has that like um I don't even know how to describe this, but certain movies from this era have it where like the neon lights that are everywhere in like, you know, 70s fast food joints yeah. almost are like green you know yeah. they gl- they glow like almost kind of a green kind of hue uh yeah i don't know it's got that really nice kind of look to it that i that i like so much um uh but like you said is like kind of like very straightforward you know it's like mm-hmm. it's not um not really flat even that like that great neon scene is like not flashy. It's literally just a static shot, but is a really nicely composed one, you know?
1: It's yeah, it's yeah, exactly. The composition's great. It's letting the actual imagery do the work as opposed yeah. to the camera. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so these though the point of showing us this robbery at the beginning is to show us how cool, smooth, and easy this job is if all the pieces fall into place. Right, right, it's right it's kind of the bank robbery that can't fail. Right. It's it's a really really perfect plan. The only weakness in the plan is in the planning.
0: Okay, yes.
1: You know what I'm saying? Yes. So like the, once the plan is executed, if all the pieces are in place, the only issue you can possibly run into is somebody at the bank getting scared and pressing a button like we'd see we see in yeah. a later one. Yeah. But otherwise really the only holes in it comes down to the planning, which is why uh, someone like Eddie Coyle is very strict about like, are these guns clean? Because guy's like, yeah, yeah. yeah, clean enough. He's like, no, 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 no. Like clean enough is not how it is. Yeah, yeah. It has to be a certain way or else it can't be done at all. You know, he's very much a professional like that because that's where these jobs fall apart. Right. And so the plot of the movie, the crux of the plot of this movie would be that since Eddie Coyle is facing a charge for a job that he did for his buddy, was it Dylan. Dylan. Dylan, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, Peter Boyle's character, Dylan. Yeah. Um, so he's... Uh, he decides that maybe now is the time to give up his his uh, ethical code of not turning anyone in. Right. And he's going to make a deal with a cop to turn in this guy who he gets the guns from right. in exchange for maybe that cop talks to the judge and helps him get off of this. That cop... Played yeah. by Richard Jordan, whose character's name is Dave Foley.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> He's very good in this. I He's thought he very was really good in this. really good in this. He reminded me of Killian Murphy. Yeah,
1: yeah. He's got like I a very, very they remade it.
2: Really distinctive look to him uh, yeah. that is like. I don't know. He reads as scary to me, kind of, you know, uh, and it makes him an interesting kind of uh, figure in this. He He's like the visual representation
1: of what every one of these movies is about, where it's, well, this guy is no different than the criminals. It's yes, just yes. on the gang that's that's considered the good guys. You know, it's that, that old that old chestnut.
2: That's I mean, my, my big thematic takeaway from this movie was just that like crime is this like hierarchy that Eddie is basically not as far up as Eddie thinks he is. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, With and that the cops are included in that hierarchy, that they are part of the criminal system, you know.
1: So, yeah. And so that's that's what this is, is he's it's a long form negotiation between Eddie and Foley just saying, like, what can I give you that'll help me get off so that I can, uh, you know, have a life with my tiny little adorable wife.
2: Right, right. Because I think correct me if I'm wrong, he's like he is trying to successfully get the guns from the guy before ultimately turning the guy over, right? Yeah. Does it, right? And then, uh, but as he's sort of getting the deal together and getting it to work and stuff, the cop kind of keeps asking for like a little bit more. You know, he keeps being yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could go talk to the guy if you do that. And then it gets a little further in the process. And he's like, yeah, but I'm going to need you to go like another step further before I go talk to the guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's like, I talked to him and he said that it's, you know, it's good, but it's just a start. Right, yeah, yeah. I yeah, love yeah. that scene where they have that, that exchange and, you know, he's like, come on man you're like you're you're spinning me around here you know he's like well i already talked to him you know what do you want me to do you (laughs) asked me to talk to him i talked to him this is what he said all that your problem is you just don't like what he said
0: yeah and
1: you know and so then the the basically he baits him with the idea of like you turned in the gun guy and we got him you know totally killer scene yes but uh if you can actually turn in the robbers right right Maybe we can talk.
0: Right, right. And
1: right. as Eddie finds out, unfortunately, spoiler alert, he decides to compromise his own ethics and turn those guys in the day after they've been compromised by some other mystery figure and turned in. Yes, right, right. So he misses, misses the boat there.
0: Right, right. He That's right.
2: It's like he... he... Finally makes the decision that he frankly needs to make, but it turns out to be kind of too late for it to actually benefit him in any way.
1: At the same time, I am hardly convinced that this game would ever end. I feel right. as if this cop didn't talk to the judge, right? Right. Wouldn't talk to the judge and is just going to string Eddie along to get whatever he needs in the moment. Yes. Yes. You know, I, I definitely got very strong, like ah, he's just he's just dicking him around with vibes,
2: and do do the guys work for peter boyle's character is the crew like working for boyle
1: no they all work for uncle uh, or not, um- not uncle uncle's the uncle's the higher up one in the cops that's just like what they refer to the higher up cops for. okay. No, they they work for a higher entity that we do not see okay anything. okay okay um so but boyle is uh Right at the beginning it's very clear that he's on the take from from Foley because he collects twenty bucks from him and gives him some kind of information. It's never that, really revealed what.
2: That's right. He's in with the cops as well. Like Yeah, he's both in with the he, cops as well. Both he and Eddie are, but I think not known to each other, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Boyle's function uh uh we'll call him we'll call him Dylan's that Dylan, Boyle Dylan, yes, don't yes, get yes, screwed yes, up. Yes, yes, yes. Dylan's a hitman. Right, right, right. That's his job. He's the guy, he's not necessarily always the trigger man, but he's the guy that if you need someone to disappear, he'll make them disappear, right. which is why he's insulated from really being called a rat to the cops because yeah, sure, he might be on the take from the cops, but like you know, you you really want to turn you, you want to turn away the guy who's willing to kill for you? Right. Right. Like right. that's a that's an extremely valuable position. Yeah. Because nobody wants to pull the actual trigger. So he's got a little leeway in that world.
2: Okay, that makes sense to me. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, you're you're helping me put some of these pieces together because
2: the movie is so much in that coded language that I there was a little bit of me that was having trouble like fully pulling all of this together. Yeah, I feel yeah, like I yeah. got the gist of most of it to enjoy the movie, but I, I I'm so excited we're talking about this because these well, are the things that I was like,
1: what are we, you know? What other questions about the inner workings do you have? Because I I might have answers for them.
2: Well, okay, so. I mean my big one is really about the endings. We don't have okay. to jump there yet necessarily.
1: Uh, if I mean you we want can to. because I think the, the discussion for this movie is gonna be about the thematic resonance. Yeah. yeah. And as we have opposed gotten to the through, plot. We have gotten through the plot, That's really. The crux that of is the, the plot. plot. Yeah, that, that is, is the, the plot, plot. Essentially and it's right there.
2: Full of these great meaty scenes where Mitchum gets to do his very Mitchum thing and like monologue at and oh, yeah. people and stuff. And we like, can go are...
1: back through them, but if you want to get no, through no. the questions so no, we can get to yeah, it. Yeah, I think that might be the way to go. So like, what is it that you're having trouble with?
2: Okay, well, at the end, right at the end base. Okay, help me with the details, too, because I'm trying to remember the timeline of this.
1: Okay, so Scalise has that job um, that goes poorly where they end up killing a guy at the bank. Yes. Um, So then their next job is one that uh, it's highly incentivized that they get caught by the cops. That's right. the one that uh, that Eddie Coyle is hemming and hawing over whether he wants to turn them in.
0: Yes, yes. yes. He
1: finally decides to turn them in the day after they've been caught. Yeah. Great scene where they go into the house to kidnap the banker and Foley's there. Uh, what yep. does he say? Oh, and I think have a line. Oh, he he, he
2: says, "April Fool's, motherfucker."
1: April Fool's, motherfucker. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so he's got them. And so the question is, if Eddie didn't rat them out, Who somebody did. did. Yeah, Who did? Do you think it is Dylan? I'm 100% sure that it's Dylan.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: Yes. Dylan is the one that ratted them out. That's what they say in the final scene.
0: Okay, okay, okay.
1: He is the one that ratted them out. And in the final scene, uh, it's sort of hinted that both him and Foley understand that he is the one who killed Eddie.
2: Yeah, okay. Because they... Do they ask him to kill Eddie? That's what happens. Like Eddie thinks he's gotten himself out of this, goes to the bar. And while he's at the bar, they put in a call that he that he needs to kill Eddie tonight.
1: It's a ploy by Dylan a little bit because no one knows that Dylan turned them in. Because why would Dylan turn them in? Right. Everybody knows that Eddie would have because he's facing time. Right. Right. So the mysterious higher-ups call the hitman Dylan and say, listen, we know that he's the guy who turned them in. You're going to have to take care of it.
2: I see. What so so we're finding the... out at the end yeah.
1: is that Dylan sort of created this problem. He's the one that turned them in, but he's covering his own ass yeah, yeah, by yeah. being like, no, Eddie, it's clear that, you know, he he didn't even necessarily set it up. It's just like the only person who seems to be incentivized to turn everybody in is the guy whose back is currently against the wall eddie coyle yeah and so and that's so
2: eddie ends up taking the fall for this anyway even though even though the cops know that he's not who reported this right like the cops know that he eddie, yeah. right he's too short on this but he takes the fall for it anyway essentially
1: he takes the fall for it amongst his quote friends yes, yes, yes yeah the cops uh got the the information from dylan yeah, yeah. and then you know the higher-ups are like well this looks this has eddie written all over it yeah, so yeah. they okay, say okay. dylan we need you to off him and dylan's just yeah. like perfect that that clears my ass entirely
0: yes yes you yes, know yes, like yes. i'm
1: clear with the cops because i gave them what they want i'm clear with my guys because they think i killed the snitch right bing bang boom and uh i think what's what's the most important thing established in the last scene is that foley makes it pretty clear like i'm i am aware that dylan you're the guy who pulled the trigger on coil right i'm also aware of the fact that you wouldn't have done it unless you had to and the most the most important thing is that i can still keep getting information from you so i'm not going to worry about the fact that i'm pretty sure you you did kill this guy
2: Okay, so here is this is what's interesting. That conversation was what made me have this really weird thought and why I was kind of confused with the ending of this movie uh, is uh, so there's something weird about the way they kill Eddie. The the way that that is shot is that like they pull the trigger and we see a hole form in one of the windows from a yeah. bullet and we never see Eddie after that. There's never a shot where we see that Eddie himself was actually shot by that bullet or ever even died. It the camera once the Trigger is pulled, never comes back to Eddie. And there was something about the way that that last conversation happened that I thought what they were talking about was that he basically was lying to Foley and saying, "Yeah, yeah, I killed Eddie. I killed Eddie." And the reality is, he actually helped Eddie do what they had that conversation earlier in the movie, where Eddie was like, "I think I'm going to go. I'm just going to like leave and move somewhere else. He like, yeah, e- e- like I'm just going to get out of the life. I'm going to quit. I'm going to go and like." I kind of got the impression that maybe that last scene could be interpreted as him cutting Eddie loose, like letting Eddie go and making it look like he killed Eddie for the purposes of cleaning all of this up. But I wasn't sure.
1: I think it could be argued. I think that there's enough material that you could read it cynically and say, no, he killed Eddie and saved his own ass. Yeah, yeah. Or that he's even smarter and he pulled a trick, saved his own ass, made it look right. like he killed Eddie. Right. I'd have to watch it again with that in my mind, but I think it's certainly arguable. Okay. I, and that makes me think about a line that I wrote down. Oh, because please. Um, during that final scene at the Bruins game, which was yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, Mitch Mitchum plays drunk really well, yeah. like really well. He's,
2: he's doing that thing where he's not just drunk. He's been drinking at a baseball game. So he's been drinking outdoors under the sun. And uh, so he's hockey not, game, hockey game. H- hockey, oh, sorry, you're right. Yes, yeah. it is Indoors hockey. Indoors over the ice. <laughs> that's right. Never mind. I was going to say he was doing that thing where he's like he's hot and drunk, do you know what I'm saying? Where you're yeah, like yeah. you're like dehydrated and drunk, you know?
1: Well, he also he showed up at the bar earlier that yes. day and started yeah. drinking. Yeah, Started, that's true. you know, tying yeah. it on. So he's certainly been day drinking as Yeah. But um Eddie, he actually has that great line if we're talking about the game that speaks to the themes that we're sort of getting to here when he's watching Bobby Orr play. And he's like, can you imagine being a kid yeah, like that?
0: That's right. What is he?
1: 24 or something. Greatest hockey player in the world. Number four, Bobby Orr. Jeez, what a future he's got, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. But after, uh, Dylan shoots him, his little lackey is like, is he dead? And he goes, if he's not now, he's never going to be
0: right. Yeah.
1: And the way that that's worded was very interesting to me. Yes. Because I, I normally would be like, you know, is he dead? It would be like, you know, of course he's dead. I put a bull in his head or like you would say like, uh, you know, if he if he's if he's not dead now, he's going to be dead in a few seconds. You know, right? But I like that if he's not dead, he's never going to be, which is a very poetic way of saying like, no, I put a bullet straight through his brains. Yes. You know, if that doesn't kill him, nothing can kill him. He's yes. unkillable. And it was just a very strange turn of phrase that that delighted me. But loading it with the potential for maybe he didn't actually shoot him. Yeah. That, yeah. That takes on a different, you know, an interesting new new flavor.
2: Yeah, I you know, and I didn't know if I I literally by the end of it, like uh, that last conversation was very bewildering to me. And I was like, man, I felt like I was doing pretty good up until this point in the movie of kind of following the, you know, the crime code, you know, like I felt like I was picking it up and I was mostly understanding it. And then I found that last conversation like very bewildering and I couldn't tell I'm thinking now like it maybe is supposed to be. Like that, that maybe it is supposed to engender what's happening right now as we're talking about this. and We each kind of had a different kind of read on what that
1: conversation might have meant. You know what I mean? Um, The the reason I choose to believe that he did kill Eddie Coyle is because I think that reaches into the themes that I I prefer to think about this movie exploring, which is the idea that Eddie Coyle... Prides himself on being the guy that can be trusted. He's not going to bend over backwards. He's not going to give him up. He's not going to be a snitch. And he reaches a point in his life where he goes, I have earned being a snitch this one time. Right, I've right. more than earned it. I deserve it. I can be a snitch. And it's not an ethical compromise, you know, compromise that I'm making. It's okay for me to do. I deserve the life that I can win with this snitch. What he's failing to realize is that in doing that he's trusting everyone else all yeah. of his friends he's trusting and what he learns in my read to his detriment is that that assumption that everyone else was as ethically strong as him at least in terms of honor amongst thieves was a the wrong assumption to make
2: that makes sense
1: and so Whereas he's struggling with the idea of, do I, do I, do I snitch? Do I start eating cheese? He decides, yes, I'm gonna, that's, that's from the wire. Uh, that's yeah. what, oh, he's eating cheese. He's a rat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do I, do I start eating cheese when he finally makes that decision? It's very tough for him, yeah. but he learns that amongst his friends being a snitch is just part of the game. He's right. You know, snitches get stitches if they get caught,
0: <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know?
1: And so his his assumption that this one time he can get away with snitching is based in a false assumption that everybody else is acting as honorably as he used to. Right, And that it's makes clear sense. that quite literally nobody is acting that honor honorably, except maybe Scalise.
2: Yeah, and that kind of makes the title of the movie make sense to me, right? Yeah. I, I, I guess with my view of the ending, it makes some kind of sense as well. But I, I actually, I kind of like the more ironic, I, I, I don't know, the movie itself has a tone that makes me think, the title is meant to be more ironic, you know, uh, yeah. uh, which which feeds into, uh, I think what you're saying quite a bit. Um, yeah. That makes sense to me.
1: But and I'm not even sure.
2: I'm not even sure why I thought what I thought. Do you know what I mean?
1: Let's like, apply I mean, that though. Let's see what yeah. happens. Cause if we pull that further, I think there is a way to work that into the theme because all the, all that does is take the cynical ending of this guy, you know, basically tried to extricate himself from a system and it swallowed him back up right you know the the less cynical version of that is perhaps his example was read by someone who is his friend
0: right and
1: who in being you know in the cynical read in being not able to be trusted by his buddy you know but you know uh, if Coyle reads it as Dylan can be trusted and you know therefore it's okay for me to snitch we could go one step further and be like, yeah, Dylan can't be trusted by the, but he also can't be trusted by the cop because he just, you know, he just yeah, basically right. betrayed a cop by letting Coyle go. Right. But so right. I think that the theme still applies. Yeah. I just don't see this movie as one that is actively wearing any hope. Yeah, I find that makes this to sense. be very cynical. Yeah. Um, but I... That said, I don't think that there's enough information to discount the read that Coyle may have pulled a fast one and let him go, or sorry, uh, that Dylan pulled a fast one and yeah. let Coyle go.
2: And, you know, it could be whatever, uh, a production thing where they just never got the shot of the bullet going through him, and so it's just not in there, right, or whatever. But, like, it felt strange to me and, and deliberate that we see a gun go off, we see a hole get made in a, in a window, but there never is, like, I don't think there's ever a shot of of Coyle himself, like, having taken a bullet, you know? Yeah. There's conversation about him, you know? And that was the other thing, is there's literally conversation about it. Like, the camera is still in the car. They have that conversation about, like, is he dead? But we're never actually looking at him through any of that, yeah. you know? And I, just, I
1: did like, have the thought, too, that the guy would be like, shit, there's blood everywhere. Right. But also, at the same time, they do trade a car
0: yeah yeah yes so
1: that wouldn't necessarily come up yeah. but i also as i understand it this was a movie that was supposed to be more violent than it was and Yates okay. had to make concessions uh essentially in order to be able to include the banker getting fucking blown away in that one scene interesting and so in making that trade do you edit out a more explicit death yeah or yeah. was that shot the way we wanted i don't know yeah uh, yeah you know, that's this, interesting. there's not a way to know yeah uh we might actually be able to get an answer. Let me see if there's a Wikipedia entry on the book.
2: Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. I wonder how this like uh you know differs or follows along. Cause it does like you were saying before, it does have the feel of something that was adapted. These characters are so rich, like down to, you know, his connection for the guns, who I thought was like such a great character, and has a few scenes that are uh, you know, outside of Eddie's purview, which I thought was interesting yeah. too. Like not everything is from Eddie's perspective. Um and uh, you also were talking about that great scene where they actually do bust him, uh, the the guy that is his connection for the guns. Oh, yeah. So and I just will say that the,
1: in the book, it seems pretty explicit that they do kill him.
2: Okay. All right. That's good to know. That
1: said, that doesn't necessarily right. marry the movie to the book because... It also says in the final chapter, Jackie Brown is in court after being arraigned for possession of machine guns. After pleading not guilty, a trial date is set. The prosecutor and defense counsel discuss options, but both show resignation that whatever happens to Jackie Brown, nothing will change in the world of crime. Hmm. So, like, that's a different angle. And I think that the idea of everybody making peace with the fact that nothing changes in the world of crime is inherent to either ending that we're proposing here. Right. And I think Reed's in that final sequence with uh uh Dylan and uh Dave Foley of Kids in the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah.
2: It is funny trying to think of these character names because they're all character names from <laughs> other <real> things. People. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah.
1: But anyway, so you were saying about the scene with uh, Oh,
2: yeah, where he gets Jackie like Brand. busted finally. Uh it's just great because he's driving that fucking garish green car around yeah. the whole movie, and you're like, dude, what are you doing running guns in that car? You know? Uh and then he gets to have a car chase with it, which is hilariously short-lived but still cool
1: you know what i mean it's super uh visceral yeah and i think that the geography on it is remarkable it's all awesome. the way that that's done and it's it's real cars hitting one another it's yep. oh man it's so well done
0: yeah i, I love yeah, it's, that it's scene. a
1: collective eight seconds
0: yes yes but
1: what i like about that is that the scene leading up to it shows that Jackie's a little bit more savvy than we give him credit for and a little bit more savvy than Coyle gives him credit for. Because you can tell immediately Coyle sees him as some young whippersnapper who doesn't know the business. When really the story is he's an old whippersnapper that lost touch with what the business has become.
0: Right, right. One
1: of snitches and one of dishonesty and all that. Whereas the honor amongst thieves has since dissolved since coils day. Uh, and that's, that's really the key of the themes there. But I love that scene because he's meeting with the hippie couple that wants to buy a bunch of machine guns for yeah. some sort of robbery. Yes. And when they show up to pick up at the car, he's just like, yo, yeah, well, you know, you're going to have to meet me somewhere else because I am positive. I'm being watched. So I'm going to sit here and watch every car in this lot and make sure that nobody's leaving. When you guys leave, that's how I'm yeah. going to know. And it's like, Oh shit, this guy's savvy. Yeah. Yeah. He knows he wasn't savvy enough, but, you know at a time where they got snipers all around him and foley thinks he's got this idiot dead to rights that idiot actually has a plan it failed but he has a plan
2: yeah i i was i had the same kind of experience that sequence where i was like oh this is cool he's like smarter than we think he is and he, you know the hippie couple though is such a funny like they definitely make it feel like it's adapted from a book because there's such funny specific characters that don't amount to a whole lot, you know what I mean? Like uh, overall, but are obviously like integral to this like little key piece of the plot here.
1: I think they're integral to that. And I think that they also play into sort of uh, highlighting Eddie's concerns in the opening scene, yeah, okay, because yes. in the opening scene, he's like, listen, this has got to be on the up and up insofar as something like this can be on the up and up. You know we got to do this right, or else there's a hole in the plan. And so they represent and kind of coax us to think, like, This guy's not the professional that he thinks he is. Eddie is correct because this guy's willing to meet behind a you know what looks like an ice cream truck. Yeah. You know, use not as coded language as you would think he would use, and sell a couple of obvious non-professionals a ton of a ridiculous ton of guns. Yeah. And that's, you know, so I think we're supposed to be like they exist to make us think yeah this guy is the idiot that that coil thinks he is and then sense. we get the rug pulled out from under us that no he's not especially in that great scene where he's buying guns from the guys up the hill
0: yes yes. and he
1: knows exactly how to do it oh yep. man that's, he actually has a great line he says uh i wrote it down he was like he kind says, of my favorite uh, character
2: yeah actually. he was
1: really good yeah. he goes hey this life ain't easy but it's a lot harder if you're stupid <laughs> yeah such a good line.
2: <laughs> he uh I think he might have had the other line that I quoted in my review. I think he's the one that says that he's a life's hard, lover, very hard. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's him too. Uh yeah. I uh um what was the other thing I was gonna say about him? I had a thought while you were talking there that you know, I... and
1: we see him dealing with a junkie too. Like, like oh, that's right. We look at his process and we're supposed to think like this guy is exactly as sloppy as Eddie thinks he is. Yeah, yeah. And he both is and isn't. And it's kind of disorienting because, you know, the movie simultaneously is saying like, yeah, you thought he was sloppy. He's actually better than you think he is. But he's also in over his head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: I thought one of the things that was like really cool and interesting about this movie that feeds into like everything we've been talking about is like how a lot of the storytelling is actually kind of like on the periphery of the movie. Like the idea that like all of these conversations happen in these weird public spaces And that's why they sort of talk in the code that they talk, but that's also, they wouldn't really meet anywhere else. These conversations need to happen in these weird public spaces because that's where they can kind of get away with talking about these things and knowing there's nobody bugging their conversation
1: or listening to them. In the grocery store parking lot, they're literally selling guns, but dressing them up as groceries.
2: Right, yep. I thought that was like a very interesting, and the whole movie is kind of that way, where it's like half of the information we kind of, need to understand is just the texture of the movie you know it's like it's it's just where they are when they're doing things you know how they're doing things i thought that was really kind of cool i I like that aspect of the movie a lot
1: it like hints to the idea of like like my current job i work in shipping and the most fascinating thing about shipping is you don't realize that there's just this invisible force all around us moving things everywhere right, right. you don't realize that it. it's just something that until you know about it you don't realize or like when you think about like the economy in general yeah it's this invisible alchemy that just exists in the air around us but controls so much and i think that that is applied in this movie that it's like the crime is an omnipresent thing yeah and we are just watching the areas where it might flare up and cause an issue uh the goal isn't to eliminate these guys it's to have enough of a control over them that it's manageable and that nobody gets hurt (laughs) right you know and so like the issue in this is like during bank robbery number two somebody gets hurt right right therefore we got to sort of you know the system that exists sort of has to collapse around it and do that you know once again i think you know what movie i'm about to reference and recommend you gotta watch the counselor oh yeah okay because that movie is that that has like none of the actual action though it's just those between scenes yeah yeah i kind of like those between scenes though yeah your mileage may vary with it um and i i imagine that it, it it it's been a long time since i've seen it i imagine i'd probably have somewhat of a different feeling about it but uh, this movie reminded me that a lot because of exactly what you're saying is that like you watch these scenes and go, oh yeah, the plan, the heist is not what matters. It's all the planning that matters. And this is where the issues can arise. This is where the errors that can sink a plan are made. Yeah. You know, like that kind of a thing. Um, and The Counselor has a lot of that.
2: That's cool. That's I do have to watch. That's um uh, Ridley Scott, right?
1: Ridley Scott. Yeah. It's got a... Uh, it's Javier Bardem, Cameron Diaz, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's got a wild cast actually. Wild cast. That's a yeah. cool movie. Yeah, and it's a script by uh, Cormac McCarthy. Oh right, right. Okay. Yeah, so it's so it's real fucking bleak and upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah. everybody's right. every everybody's having a bad time. It's it's you know, <laughs> you know he <how> does. <laughs> yeah, that
2: sounds about right. Um, I wanted to
1: point out too in the yeah. scene where they where they arrest Jackie, that's an audible that they call. What do you mean? uh Foley's not necessarily going to arrest him it's do we wait to see who's picking up because when the hippie couple comes up like that's not they're not buying guns it's a little Mm blondie lady okay like not buying guns and they're wrong about that but then when they realize like it doesn't look like anyone's coming to pick up it's all right you know what roll in let's get this guy yeah and that speaks to what I'm saying is the the idea of like we can chase this up the line But really, we just want to maintain the status quo. And if that just means clipping this guy off the timeline, that's cool.
2: Well, I mean, for sure, that was like the biggest thing that I gathered from the movie personally was just like, yeah, the cops are like literally part of the criminal enterprise. Like they just are an arm of it. They are. There's this hierarchy that um, uh, Jackie Brown is very low on. That Eddie is also very low on. Frankly, by the end of the movie, it's unclear if he's even above Jackie. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah.
1: Where I where... think Dylan's probably the highest ranked amongst all of them because right, he he only has to get his hands dirty at the end. And right. when the principal from Back to the Future, when Mister yeah. Strickland uh, is like, "Listen, the higher ups want him dead, and they want it tonight." He has enough clout to be like, "They came to me, right? I can't do it tonight. Right? That's just right. not how it's happening. Yeah. If you want it done right, I'll do it. But like, there's a reason why I never get caught." Right. Right. You know, like, and so he kind of has some clout.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, that goes all the way up into Dave Foley, right? Like Dave Foley yeah. is part of this hierarchy. He is working with these guys, not really for these guys, but with these guys, uh, you know, in order to, as you're suggesting, pull certain elements in, you know, like he is using them to be able to arrest certain people and pull certain mm. people out of this system. But he functionally is part of that system. You know what I mean? Like oh, he's yeah. part of that hierarchy. And I his that job was
1: like- is to just make sure a stray bullet doesn't catch someone not involved. You know, right. like that's kind of his job as a cop, which I also think speaks to my read on the end where he's right. essentially saying like, you know, I'm not going to say that you, that you Dylan killed coil. Right. I bet you did, but I don't think that it was necessarily you getting wild. It's just, we're right. working on the same business here. Like it, it does yeah. not suit It does not suit the status quo to bring you in for that. In fact, it suits the status quo to leave you right where you are and just let it be known that silently I know, you know, I know, but we're not going to make a thing of it because who does that help?
2: That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, A bad guy air quotes is dead.
2: Right, right, right.
1: Let's move on. You know, let's, let's, let's save it for something important.
2: That makes sense.
1: Um, yeah, I I get the sense that they weren't even going to bring down the bank robbers they probably weren't that interested in taking down Scalise's team until an innocent person got killed. And then it's like, listen, we got to get these guys.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, they do kind of address the, what you talked about earlier, like the notion of like all of this money is insured and stuff, you know what I mean? Like they kind of address this idea that like no one's getting hurt. So like how deep are they really going to investigate this crime?
1: You know? Yeah. Like we could show up guns blazing and then someone might get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. But if we can, you know, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. It
2: and it is interesting that the only time somebody does get hurt, that's a really interesting scene where it's like a guy that chooses to basically try and be like heroic in that moment. Yeah. Pays for it. And I don't know if it's just because of my own headspace right now, all I could think about during that scene was like, man, this bank doesn't give a fuck about you. Like what are you what are you pressing yeah. that button for? You know what I mean? Like you're 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 about to pay for
1: no reason, for like for nothing, you know? I liked what that manager said too. He was like, these guys don't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. I've been stood up four times Yeah, in my 35 years at this bank. I have every reason to believe that they don't want to hurt everybody, anybody. Right. And I have every reason to believe that they will. Please don't do anything. Right. Right. Wait an hour. We'll do this. And then yeah. that guy gets, you know, an itchy button finger. Yeah. But I think that speaks to what I'm saying about the idea of like, you know of course we don't want bank robbers running around doing things but <laughs> right. when somebody dies in a bank robbery the people of boston go cops what are you doing yeah, yeah and yeah. now it's time that we've got to bring these guys in yeah and so it is a you know we've got this i'm thinking in terms of the the show loki we've got this timeline moving forward <laughs> and somebody decides to to upset that status quo well you know we've got to corral it in Yeah. so, so at team's got to go down you know yeah yeah,
0: yeah. that's interesting
1: and, like, that's the cop's role is not necessarily to bring down the bad guys. It's just to keep the bad guys from hurting anybody and to do some sort of performative justice if and when they do.
2: Right. Yeah, that's that's very interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. Mean, I think about our policing, like we very rarely care about solving the crime. We care yeah. about getting the crime off the books. Right. Right. Justice or the truth be damned.
2: Yeah. Trying to get that backlog
1: taken care of get the backlog taken care of doesn't yeah. matter if we if we you know lethally inject a guy who didn't do it doesn't matter if we don't catch everybody you know like we just we need a symbol and then we need to move forward you know it's it's that kind yeah. of thing
0: yeah
2: uh i'm trying to think what uh, what other like notes i have about this movie because i i love I... my notes
1: i noted that in the second robbery their masks looked like michael rapaport
2: <laughs> that's very funny Oh, I was thinking that the masks in the first robbery—I, you know—I've seen them used in other movies. I think before, where it's just yeah. like a, what would you say, like sort of translucent uh, face that has its own kind of face paint, and mustache, and makeup on it, so that it kind of disguises your face
1: underneath. Yeah, it's uh, there was a villain on the Adam West Batman show called False Face. Yeah, and he he wore one of those. I kind
2: of, I mean, I've seen them used in other movies before, but seeing a whole team of people with them on made me realize like how effective they really are.
1: Yeah, where it's I like. not know who
2: who. Yeah, and like when you can kind of see a face underneath it, but then there's that face on top of it, it just makes the whole thing morph in a way where you really cannot report any distinguishing features.
1: Do you know what I mean? Have you seen a scanner darkly? Yeah. Okay, uh, you know the, the identity hiding suits in that that just yeah, flow yeah. through a bunch of different faces? Yeah, it has yeah, that yeah. effect, only static. Yes, yes, where it's too—it's so much information that it clouds all of the information.
0: Yeah, I—I—I I,
2: I don't know. For some reason, I was like very taken with that. I was like, "Oh, this is kind of a brilliant idea for a you know a bank
1: robbing disguise." Yeah, it's so simple, were, but it's super effective. And they can effective. see clearly. Yeah, yeah, certainly better than putting on a full-on nun mask like in yeah. the town. Another uh, uh well, Boston heist movie.
2: I did think it was funny that the final heist, they're just wearing fucking ski masks. That the first yeah. two heists, they have like these more kind of. What would you say, like complicated uh, disguises, and then they're just in ski masks by the end?
1: I mean, I think that's just that's that's a good plan, you know, mm-hmm. like to make sure that that you know it's not like oh they're the uh, they're the ex-presidents, you know, yes, you don't want to have yes. that happen. I agree. Then it it's becomes like it's not, a thing, you know.
2: There's no identifying factor about it, really. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think that's what really struck me about this movie is that it's smart. Like like the like I said before, it's the the plan is smart. It's a good plan. Yeah. Right. It's if you if you're in the business of robbing banks, that's a great way to go about doing it. Yeah. Um,
2: They have that funny conversation, I think, going into the last one where they go like, so what does this guy have any kids or just a wife? And they kind of imply that, like, when it's wife and kids, it's better because, like, they're more likely to, like, go with our plan when it's just wife, It's a little harder to get them to go along.
1: Yeah. He might not be so into his wife. That actually that connects to the line that I wrote down here that I thought was so funny. Uh, Robert Mitchum saying to i think he says to jackie he goes i ain't got the time to explain the ins and outs of married life to you and <laughs> if i did you wouldn't believe me yeah that's that was so a good line. yeah so good but i do love his relationship with his wife oh she's I know. this sweet little tiny lady she's about yeah. three inches tall yeah and uh you know she's just very uh contented it seems yeah
2: she's she's kind of like she's up she, there's a weird thing where she's like she seems to know what he's doing and is a little like, come on, Eddie. Just like, I know, yeah, but like, just, just tell me just, yeah. Like just, just come home.
1: Like what, what are we doing? Like, yeah. can,
2: can we put a stop to this finally?
1: And he's even like, I love that the line that Dylan says to him in the bar when Dylan's just feeding him booze before he invites him to the Bruins game. Yeah. Um, and he says, he says to him something like, Hey, you know what? They're going to put you up for, oh, we say they're going to put you up for two years. You're going to get eight months and then just get out of here yeah 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 like, right. come on man like stop yeah. don't even do this but then when he gets that call in the back he's like yeah he's here blah 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 and we don't hear who's on the other end we never meet that the right. man we right. only meet principal strickland who like is his voice yeah um but yeah he's we never meet the man. but he even then he puts on like a fake air where he goes yeah he's in here saying that he doesn't know who turned in the scalise gang right. and it's pissing me off Yeah, yeah like, yeah, yeah. it's just part of his performance even though he turned in the Scalise gang. That's right. Yeah, I think that speaks a little bit to your theory. Yeah, yeah. You know, because he's saying to him, like, "Listen, man, like, just do your time. Like, I get, know, get yeah. out of here. Do your time, man. Like, just do it. You're he, causing trouble, and it's only going to end." He's he's giving the speech, sort of that uh that De Niro gives Haffa uh, the Irishman. It is what oh, it yeah. is. It yeah. is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, they would never do that to me, yeah, I'm telling you it is what it is, yeah yeah, yeah that is they want me to stop i'm not I'm not gonna stop
0: <laughs> this, this is gonna...
1: my union it is what it is, Jimmy. <laughs> I fucking love that. I think about that scene a lot. That movie's so good. it's yeah. so good. That's like one of my favorite. I'm half drunk and not paying attention, so I put it on in the background while I do <laughs> other things movies. Oh, it's so good, yeah, so say-
2: like scorsese makes great uh post-thanksgiving dinner
0: movies
1: yes oh yeah just rubbing your belly and enjoying murder it's good stuff but this sort of has that similar vibe to goodfellas like one of the uh one of the failures that uh that uh i forget de niro's name in that he's not tommy tommy is is pesci what is his name in that well either way de niro's house painter in, no, no, I'm talking about Goodfellas now. Sorry. Oh, okay. um, in Goodfellas, his whole thing is he's the guy who's trying to make sure everyone under him does not act stupid.
0: Right, right, right. That's his
1: job. And I guess it applies to, to the Irishman too, except, uh, you know, Harvey Keitel is really the one who's just like, I got to keep it, you know, Joe Pesci, like, keep everybody in check. Yeah. but Yeah, he's got the same thing that sort of, I guess, would be Dylan's job here, which is just like, I will say what I want and do what I got to do just to make sure that you guys don't fucking act like idiots
0: yeah if you
1: don't act like idiots you do your time blah blah blah. we can do it but all these little loose cogs in the machine are coming out and it could sink everything right and dylan seems to be the one who is most aware of the big picture yeah yeah and everyone else thinks that they're aware of the big picture and are thinking smaller than it requires
2: because uh, correct me if I'm wrong does the movie open with a conversation between Dylan and uh, uh, Dave Foley are they like one of the first conversations we see
1: yeah it's definitely very early on and he even says something to the effect of like you know I give you this so you give me 20 bucks you know, it's really gonna keep me afloat you know like, right, right, it's 20 bucks in payment from the cup.
2: because that is interesting that this movie starts with that before you could really understand like what they're even saying to each other or yeah. who they are you know and then kind of circles back around to that stuff um yeah, it is the structure of it is pretty interesting. Yeah, it I of course it's adapted from a book. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like the more we're talking about like it, I'm book. thinking
1: about it, it's like it yeah. And I like the idea too like 20 bucks is is chump change for Dylan right. but knowing that his character is I don't want to say pulling all the strings but seems to have a larger macro sense of what's going on. Yeah. He takes that 20 bucks because that's not why he's doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's doing this To keep a control on his end of things. Right. But he takes the $20 so that Foley thinks that he's doing it for $20. Yeah. As opposed to working his own machinations. It's it's fascinating. I I think that Boyle is like crazy good in this.
2: He really is. And he's
1: not in it a whole lot, but he's crazy good.
2: It's wild because like there was a point in the movie where I was like, wasn't Peter Boyle the fucking second build person in the opening credits? Like, He's not in this movie. And then he's in the movie. Yeah. And it's not just that he's in the mood. Like he gets like a good, like kind of, he's like the last reel is him, you know, like yeah. the last 20, 30 minutes of the movie is him.
1: He's the most important character in the movie in terms of both plot and theme, if I'm, re- at least if I'm reading the themes correctly. I th- and
2: I think you are. And, and it's not just that he gets those last 20, 30 minutes. It's that his performance in those last 20, 30 minutes is so good. Like he, there's something really imposing about him. I mean, he's played, you know, big guys before because he's such a big guy. But oh, like, he's a tall dude, yeah. Yeah, there is something, I, I don't know, I felt like the way that he was characterized in this movie, he felt even bigger and more imposing than I've seen him before, you know? But was performing the role as if he's not necessarily, like he like you're suggesting, it's like for Foley, he's performing as if like, yeah, sure, I work for you. Yep, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm on the take for you. That's how I work for you. But then, once he's at the bar, which is like his "quote unquote" establishment, which of course is not he. The liquor yeah. license comes from somebody else. But well, and Foley calls him out on
1: that too, because right. he even says to Foley, "Like, no, nah, I'm legit now. Like, I got information for you, but like, okay. I don't do that shit anymore." Right. Meanwhile, no, he'll kill for you if you pay him enough.
2: Right. Right. And but that in that space, he's more of a yeah, I'm in charge here. I'm a you know, he's like it, but it's all yeah. the same kind of steady. It, it was very interesting. I thought his performance was great
1: it's good he, yeah he's playing everybody to a degree yeah, yeah you know, well, definitely. he's he's not necessarily the mastermind but he's certainly someone who understands how to get everybody to do exactly what he wants in the moment yeah and you know it, if it comes down to it he might have to you know shoot his friend in the head
2: right and he knows what eddie doesn't know right like where you're suggesting it's like eddie is a man of uh, uh, has a code or something right like he's yeah. a guy that plays strictly by the rules um uh, Peter Boyle's character is a guy that very much knows no one plays that way. So I, have yeah, he knows to... that
1: honor amongst thieves is a myth, right? Maybe it wasn't so much back in the day in Coyle's heyday when, when it was respected to not roll over on anyone. Right. But now it's like, sure. Yeah. If you can make it look like you're not rolling over on everyone, that's great. You know, that's yeah. you know, cherries yeah. on the Sunday, but you know, people roll over on one another and you just, you, you cannot trust that no one's right. going to roll over on you. Right, and, and Coyle, Coyle th- does not understand that he's like, well, I'll roll over because it's the one time, and no one else yeah. is going to roll over yeah. on me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And Boyle's character, I think, also uh, like, um, I lost my train of thought. I, I had a thought. Oh, card, but sorry, I, I didn't. It's it. that. alright. No, no, no it's, okay. it's okay.
1: It's okay. Well, yeah, but yeah, he he seems to, uh, he seems to just understand that like, you can respect this game, and you can respect you know all of the you know, all of the, the machinations of the larger game, but you just got to understand that the pieces are people and people right. are fucked up.
2: Yes. you're. Yeah, exactly. He, he, it's, it's uh what I was going to say is it's almost like he's manipulating, I guess, to a certain extent, but it's not even manipulation as much as it's like knowing that nobody else is playing by the rules. So needing to be able to kind of ride that wave and talk to like, collect information from people when you talk to them and then dole out information in specific ways mm. you know it's like he just knows how to play the game you know he uh, he he can see it happening in front of him and play it where Eddie is like kind of blind to it because he, he thinks that everybody is playing by some code that they're yeah, not you know that
1: only he's playing by yeah yeah so but also too then we look back and we go wow the thing that he's about to go up to New Hampshire and potentially do time for is a job that he did for Dylan that Dylan didn't even give to him on the up and up Right. Because if we're to believe coil coil thought it was just a driving job. Now right. granted, in this world, you're an idiot if you think that any driving job is just a driving job. Yes. So the question then becomes, you know, did Dylan just throw him a bone and say I got a driving job for you? Or is there some bigger plan? And Dylan was like, we can send this guy down the river real quick. Right. He needs we- this job. He can get busted. And while they're busting that truck, I got a truck over here filled with better shit that we're going to get across the border, whatever it may be. You know, like, yeah, who like, knows what kind of plan he's working.
2: That Eddie is like a patsy kind of that is meant to go down in some larger scheme yeah. that we're not even really in on necessarily.
1: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's
2: interesting. That yeah, that makes sense.
1: Now, this is something that didn't even occur to me and I think was done on purpose. It didn't occur to me when I watched it. I noticed this right at the beginning, but now that we're getting into this, I think that it was probably placed there on purpose. The opening scene where Eddie meets with Jackie at the diner. Yeah. It's a diner sort of buffet style, but there's servers behind the buffet. There's a sign on the wall that says, do not wait in line. Please come to like the, whatever area you want you like, just cut to whatever area you want to be at and all that. Yeah. And in my head, I was only thinking of that in terms of logistics. And I was like, oh, that's kind of smart. If I was running like a food line, you know, why assume that everybody wants to take a look at everything? Someone might just want to walk up, grab a coffee and bounce. That's an important sign to have. But now that we're having this conversation, I'm starting to think about it. That is so thematically appropriate. The idea Uh of it saying if you want something, don't wait in line as the system tells you to do. Yeah. Come up, take what you want, and bounce. Yeah, and like that's what every that's what Dylan understands. Yes, that's what Coil fails to understand. Coil's yeah. the one that's like, well, you wait in line because that's what you do, but you will get your food. Yeah, yeah. And Dylan kind of understands the like, no, walk up to the pie section, grab your pie, yeah, and then go sit at the table. Yeah, and why wait in line? Because you're just wasting your time and clogging things up for everybody else. And I, I wonder if that sign was included in these shots for the purpose of of echoing that thematic sentiment.
2: That totally makes sense to me. Uh, and because even like um, like one of the things I like about the Jackie Brown character is that like he has this relationship with Eddie where he, <laughs> you know, Eddie thinks he's schooling him and giving him this great wisdom and Jackie spends every one of those conversations being like, "I, I, I yeah, okay, old man, well, whatever, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. what do you, yeah, you gonna yeah. buy these guns? Okay, great, sure, okay, awesome." Uh, and you know, I because I think he, like you're saying, it's like he's another guy that's like, "Yeah, no, I'm gonna go to my part of the buffet when it's time for me to go to my part of the buffet." Yeah. Whatever, old man, like w- wait in this line. I don't care. Whatever,
1: buy my, you know. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Your knuckles, the guns gotta be clean, and then he's yeah. gonna leave and get the guns however the fuck he feels like getting the yes. guns because that's how yeah. you do it.
2: Yes, and because Eddie is gonna buy those guns, right? Like yeah. it's you know what is he not gonna buy those guns at the end of this interaction? Yeah, you know? he needs them. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh man. Mitchum's just he's he's awesome. I, and it's weird because I'm like i I'm like a new Mitchum you fan. Too. I know he's Me like too. a classic, but like you know, being rocked by Night of the Hunter and, and seeing Cape Fear and all that, like it's very clear why he is a legend and why he's a superstar totally very very iconic but i i think has a lot of range you know you know he's never going to escape what he looks and sounds like but you know you compare the murder and priest in yeah. uh you know night of the hunter you compare that to eddie coyle and yeah there's shades of the same but that is that's a very different aura that he puts forth
2: Totally. I mean, Eddie seems like before we started recording, I called him a bowl of soup. I mean, he really (laughs) feels like a man that is, you know, melting with time, you know, like he's just, he's falling apart, but not in that way where like his bones are getting creaky and he can't walk anymore, but like, he's just like all of this has taken a toll on him and it's weighing on him and he's getting heavier and heavier with each step that he takes forward, you know? Um, which is such a specific thing that uh, I think only comes with a certain kind of physicality and a look and a, you know, it's, it, I don't know. There, there are a few people I'm I can to think, think of. of who that would continues. be like a
1: contemporary, like what's a contemporary you know, I know, uh, like, analog for him? I, is it Steve Buscemi? Like, I don't know, you know, he's a little wirier. He's yeah. got sort of a wiry thing to him. Steve yeah. Buscemi more of a modern, um, Oh shit. What's his name? Oh man, it's gonna kill me. He's an old timey guy. Um, hang on, I will get his name. He's in the Maltese Falcon,
2: dude. He's Harrison Ford. That's like that's like our equivalent now.
1: Yeah, Steve Buscemi is our Peter Lorre. Yeah. Okay. Yes.
2: That's that's yeah. kind of
1: whatever. Yeah, he's sort of a Harrison Ford type.
2: Like a you know a grumbly mumbly old man that uh, you know there was there was power to him and always will be power to him, but as he ages, there's like different weird things he's capable of yeah you know?
1: he's comfortable in his clothes but he's uncomfortable in his skin
2: yeah yeah He's yeah. just
1: yeah he's everything's heavy but everything's soft yeah yeah man Something i love like harrison that. ford i'm gonna be so sad when he dies
2: i know i know i just
1: got that 4k box of uh all the Indiana uh, Joneses i, heard they I think look i'm gonna great. watch i'm gonna watch Raiders tonight i think i heard they look great i'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to that oh so exciting yeah um I, I want to shout out for the friends of Eddie Coyle. The music—it's uh, so guy, good, man. It's so good. Really, really bouncy. Uh, it sounds like when you go seventies cop movie. It just yep. like has that sort of a uh, sort of kind, feel to it.
2: Kind of jazzy, but a little boppy.
1: Like it's yeah, yeah. half porny. It's, <laughs> uh, pff, let me get this. I always forget how IMDb works. See all? No, it's not that one. It is where's the all cast and crew button it disappeared oh yeah
2: well because now it's new imdb
1: right the great new the fabulous new format dave Grusen or Grusen, still around okay but he did the firm the graduate uh he did tootsie he did three days of the condor oh yeah okay that has a great score yeah he's he's done a lot of he did that movie homecoming okay um yeah, he's just—it's funny—he's credited on The Simpsons, but it's probably just because they used score samples to reference his movies.
2: I think it looks like he may have. Oh yeah, he worked with like Sidney Pollock before. Yeah, okay, very interesting. Had a pretty wild career. Yeah, <laughs> he also oh, did yeah. also did Heaven Can Wait.
1: I don't know if you uh, yeah.
2: mentioned that when I missed it, but
1: uh, I've not seen it, but I'm familiar. Uh, oh yeah, Wayne's World two. <laughs> Look who's talking to. Now, this is all soundtrack, so maybe these are just songs that were on the right. soundtrack or, like, references to his work. Uh, Maud and Justice for All, uh, Mother Jugs and Speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, a I, lot of good shit here. I,
2: I, yeah, and the music is so good in this movie. It was definitely one of the things that I was, like, very in on the kind of, like, vibes of, like, the look and sound of this movie,
1: you know? Yeah. And then also, I think it's worth uh, worth noting that the writer... Uh, who adapted it paul monash or monash he's got some credits here um let me pull it so so he he uh wrote the screenplay for salem's lot he wrote the tv series v which i loved um what do we got
0: he wrote the tv
1: series the untouchables um but not no they did an untouchables TV series it's from like the fifties.
0: Okay. He's okay. also
1: a producer. He produced Carrie. He produced Big Trouble in Little China. Um he produced the other Carrie. <laughs> he produced <laughs> Butch, he was the executive producer on Butch Cassidy and Sundance, uh Slaughterhouse Five, Deadfall. So he's got quite quite the career yeah. as a producer as well as a writer, and he's the one who adapted the book for this film.
2: That's so interesting yeah i'm I'm looking at all these credits now that is a pretty fascinating career actually it's funny when you start looking at some of this stuff and you go like man that you know somebody did three things i've heard of and then like 17 other things and then you start looking around and going like oh they were also a producer this that you're like it seems like every time i start like really digging into this stuff it's like oh everybody that ever worked on anything worked on 17 other cool things you know yeah
1: i always find combinations like this though weird like it's not uncommon, especially nowadays, for an actor to be a producer on everything, because that's right. what you do. You know, once you get a, a name to yourself, you start a producing entity. And, you know, like Brad Pitt has had an Oscar for years. He just only right. won his acting Oscar, you know, two years ago right? Um, be- because he was a producer, you know. And like everybody's got their own production company once that once they have a name. Everybody's PGA. But to have someone who adapted a book into a screenplay be a producer for genre film. Right. That's a real weird thing. Yeah, I feel like that's not as common because it's not like he's a name, but I guess just when you're in the biz, you're in the biz. Yeah. It's interesting.
2: Um, I don't know. I, th- I think that closes my loop on this movie. I don't know that I have anything, uh, anything more for you.
1: I don't know if I have any notes. Let me just see. I got uh, I mentioned the sound design was good. Like there was one scene where they're outdoors and you could just hear like a logging operation going on in the background. Yeah. And like, that's a choice. And a lot of a lot of the, you know, the, the world of this feels very lived in and real. Sure. And I, you get the sense, like, because in the Boston scenes, you know, you, you get the civics sounds and those beautiful city lights and all that. This was a New Hampshire scene. You get the audio of logging. You get, right. uh, you know, brown leaves and stuff. And it's very, I, I think that's employed to kind of show a dichotomy between, like, yeah, he wants to run away from this crime-filled city, but his fate is jail in rural New Hampshire. You know, like yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's a real fun thing that they're doing with that. Um, I don't think I have anything else on there. Uh, is there. Anything else on the on the cast here? I wanted to say. Mitchell Ryan is the guy that I was naming. That's from Liar Liar and Lethal Weapon and Gross Point Blank and halloween six the curse of michael myers okay he plays foley's boss
2: i he's see only got, yes, he's yes. only got a
1: scene but he's like one of those guys that you recognize
2: i know exactly what you mean now i just finally got a picture of him up here and fully recognize him and definitely from liar liar like now that you say that i can picture him doing like the, the scene from liar liar it's just the scene because I've they're all in the boardroom great yeah. movie
1: when he's in the boardroom just like ripping on everybody like yeah. uh you know what's his name is bald blah 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 blah, 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 he's like oh I love a good roast Yeah. (laughs) the way he delivers that line is so good
2: I believe he's the one that he does he pull a toupee off of his head ultimately and slap it against the wall
1: I don't think he's the one that gets the toupee I think it's just the it's like one of his but he's the guy who uh, Fletcher what I can't believe I remember his name he's the guy who Fletcher uh, wants to uh, like he's his boss because he wants to make partners yeah right Fletcher Reed. I know Fletcher his full Reed. name. I just remember because uh, the wife is like, ah, Fletcher. And he goes, ah, Audrey.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and I remember because I love the actress that plays his secretary, and I can just hear her going, Mr. Reed, Mr. Reed. Yeah,
1: she was great.
2: Yeah, uh, Is she still around? Yeah, I don't know. She's been in tons of shit, though.
1: Yeah, she's a, she, She's one of the one of them real ones. Liar, liar. Her name is Anna Haney. Uh, she died tons. in 2001. Oh, shit Oh, yeah. She's Mrs. Doubtfire, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. She's on Kirby Enthusiasm, Allie McBeal, Boy Meets World, The Out of Towners, Forces of Nature with Ben Affleck. <laughs> she was in the Gus fans and Psycho and all that fun stuff. I almost oh, said yes. Lars Von Trier Psycho, and now I'm obsessed with somehow getting that movie to happen. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's. Uh, I always I always wished at the end of Liar Liar, they everyone was just like wait, 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 wait freeze freeze freeze. So magic is real, right?
0: <laughs>
1: Can we all contend with the fact that birthday magic is real, like and very powerful? No, okay, okay. He just got his rollerblades. Uh, there's like so much I remember from that movie very distinctly
2: because I saw it so many times. But for some reason, the thing that I think about most often is just Carrie Elwes going are you ready for it it's the claw it's gonna get you oh it's gonna get you oh, just he like plays how... the best
1: out of touch stepdad did... who's actually a pretty good guy
2: <laughs> he amps up the lame in that yeah. in such a way that is like so funny to me i think about it all the time oh it's the claw
1: oh it's yeah gonna get you i was asked by someone who was writing someone something to like dreamcast uh characters for his script And there's a character that's like a real bad dude. Mm -hmm. And uh, for some reason, Carrie Elwes was the first and last name to pop in my head. I would love to see him, especially now play more villains yeah because i think he's capable of it and especially now that he's older he's not quite like you know, he's like hunky in his men of tight days men in tight days yeah. and he's not now he's you know he's old i mean it's not like an ugly guy but he's just he's an older uh-huh. guy now you know and i i would love to see him play some villains
2: he uh i mean it's not even really a spoiler to say because it was like straight up definitely all over the trailer and stuff but uh, he does play one in that uh, recent black christmas movie
1: oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah and, and it's fun I, uh, he was fun. He, yeah, he was fun. There's there's so much that I like about that movie that I didn't find to be very good at all. <laughs> I know. I, I pretty much agree with that, yeah. But, you know, um, I think it was... I'll tell you what, though. When you read the production schedule on that movie, yeah, it's a miracle that it works at all. Yeah. Because that went from, like, completely unwritten to completely finished, I believe, in less than a year. Yeah, yeah. That's and, like, the, the director and the producer, you know, like... Of course, they they you take that job. Yes, yes. And so the fact that that I think it was just these two women, I think, I forget their names, but the fact that it was just like you want to do this, yeah. Can you yeah. have it by September? Go. Yep. And like the fact that they managed to do it and make it thoughtful yep. is feels impossible. So even though I don't really like that movie, I have a tremendous respect yeah. for just like I certainly couldn't have made something that functional and that thoughtful uh with such little to begin with. That is and to do of, so in the shadow of what is probably my favorite slasher of all time. Yeah.
2: That movie like didn't totally work for me, but is one of those movies that I don't think is like a particularly bad movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It
1: it just like didn't really do it for me.
0: It's complete. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I could not have brought that across the finish line at Fair all. Right. Yeah. Let alone in a way that's even remotely functional. Yeah. And so mad respect. Yeah. But uh yeah.
2: Um I don't know. You have any uh, closing thoughts here? I, I mostly just thought this was good and people should watch it. It's like, it's very available. I hear it talked about all the time and you know, it was like worth watching.
1: Yeah, I think what it comes down to is is I've heard about this movie forever. I've had yeah. so many adult men that are like, "Oh, you like movies? You ever, <laughs> see the, you ever see the Pope of Greenwich Village or the Friends of Eddie Coyle?" And I go, oh, "No, no, I hear that they're great. I've I've heard that so many times. Usually with the sentence like, and also never get married, like that. Could, yeah. But um, I've I've and it's the kind of movie that like has always been in my head as something that I need to see. And it's just, it's lost in a sea of things that I probably would have pulled the trigger on fast yeah. and, and quicker than this. So I'm very glad we watched it because I, I thought it was like beyond excellent. I, I, I will watch this again.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I gotta assume that there's like a pretty good release of this floating out there somewhere. This is like, a, I feel like a fairly popular, well-known movie. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it must be something you can get your hands on if, uh, if you would like to uh, own it.
1: I'm sure there's some version of it, but yeah. you know, Philly fans, uh, at the end of this month, we lose canopy access through the free library. Uh, yes, so right. get on it if you want to watch the Friends of Eddie Coyle. It's on canopy. That's where I watched it. Take advantage of canopy while you still got it. Yeah, because uh, there's only a couple weeks left to that. But as I understand it, there there's other things in the works in terms of like a streaming library. Um, got gotcha. it. You know, or just drive to another state get a library card there very easy to do plug it in (laughs) good to go yep yep thank god jenna has got a gloucester county library one because we're gonna have canopy
2: hell yeah never going away baby
1: Mm -mm. but yeah Uh, i would i would definitely recommend checking it out i i percent. i'm going to seek out to see if there's even like a dvd release of this because i would like to watch it again it's it's one to study yeah especially as a writer it's like the kind of thing that i i would like to the dialogue
2: is so sumptuous in this too sumptuous um there's a lot of great like monologuing throughout the movie that I thought was really, really
1: good. A lot of great monologuing. And I think it's, it's one of those things where I know that like with your experience with it, you sort of brushed up against it a little bit. There's such a fine line with being expository and cryptic. Yeah. yeah. And you got to find that sweet spot where all the information comes forward, but it's not, it, it doesn't feel false. It doesn't yeah, yeah. feel like a, a script. And I think that this walks that line pretty damn well. Oh yeah, and um, you know, and I think we can credit the source material for for some of that as well. But like, as a writer, I watch this and I go, "God damn!" Like, I <clears throat> like perhaps a better example of what I'm talking about is Pelham One, Two, Three. Sure, yeah. I watched the taking of Pelham One, Two, Three, and it's like if I could make one script sing and feel so real yeah. and get so cinematic and so alive as that, I, I could die a happy man. Yeah, but like both of those movies are a clinic on how to make your characters real, how totally. to make them become information machines, theme machines, plot machines, while also being people and people that are entertaining to watch. It's, it's wild and, and credit to the actors too. I think that's,
2: Oh yeah. That's this part is, of the heavy the cast is great in this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I agree. Um, I loved it. Just loved it. Hell yeah. Oh, I am glad why we decided to watch it. Um, yeah. Should we tell people what we are uh, going to do next week? Oh, I'm pretty baby. excited about it.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, pretty excited. I'll let you do
2: it. because uh, I, I, I used the phrase closing a loop earlier because I was already thinking ahead to this conversation where we are finally going to close a long time loop and uh, we're going to watch Live Free or Die Hard and uh, finally talk about the only Die Hard movie that we have not yet talked about on the show and I can't wait. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie. I remember liking this movie a lot. I'm pretty pumped. Okay.
1: We've, what's funny is we did five. Yes, I know we did five on an episode about where blockbusters can go wrong. Yes, we did one, two, and three. Um, yep. Yeah, because one, like you have to. Two, we did it as a continuation. Three yep. was Chris Cotton's pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so because we t- we talked French fries. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, and then we skipped four because five was was the one that you know that really fucked up, but. Yeah. I'll say something controversial, and we'll see if next week this changes, but as it stands at this moment, I think that 4 might be my favorite Die Hard sequel. Interesting, interesting. Can I, I feel like this? last time I watched 2, 2 became my favorite sequel, but I really <laughs> have a fondness for 4, and I love 3, but I, I I, don't have the same love that everyone else has for it, Yeah, um, at least in relation to the other sequels. Yeah, Five yeah. is dog shit. I fucking hate that movie. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh
2: you have the DVD of this, right? Is that have that like longer cut on it? Should I look yes. for that longer cut?
1: You should look for the unrated cut or yeah. uh or R-rated or whatever, yep, because yep. I've seen them both and I actually remember distinctly feeling that the R or unrated or whatever the higher yep. you know uh, uh the evil are cut. I remember thinking that it felt distinctly more like quote a diehard okay than, okay. than it did otherwise even though I, I it's not like that different yeah but you know when when a gunshot blares out your yippie kaye yay motherfucker <laughs> that's a that's a pretty big thing to to eliminate in your diehard movie yes to have the audio of motherfucker in there is uh essential yes. <laughs> you know like yes. it's kind of the most necessary
2: uh okay i will i'll find that that's what i will watch um I'm i very imagine excited.
1: that if you're if you're looking around for it that's probably the one that's most available To yeah
2: probably probably um all right cool len so that, wiseman yes <laughs> len, the maniac himself uh yep. and uh yeah I, this is available on hulu i don't know which cut is available on hulu but it is uh there now so if for some reason you've not seen it and you want to watch it watch it
1: nice yeah and, yeah uh, tom elephants is the bad guy
2: yeah yeah <laughs> i can't wait man uh, an actor everyone likes now, uh, so yeah. we can oh, so yeah. we get to talk about this character in a positive light. Maybe I feel like I remember people kind of hated uh, him at the time of this movie, and we're just like, yeah, what a lame villain.
1: I I never had any thoughts of him as a person, but I I liked him as a villain, if ever. But, but you know, we'll see how it all holds up. But I've yeah. I've always liked uh, Timothy Oliphant. I call him Tom Elephants because <laughs> I like to have fun. But yeah, uh-huh. I've always liked Timothy Oliphant. He's
2: he's just I'm excited. He's he's a real one. He's now a space cowboy, so we can, uh, you know, now
1: we can all talk about him in a positive light. And I was watching uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a week ago today, and he's a real cowboy. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, he's in Lancer. He is Lancer. Yes,
0: that's right. That's right.
1: Man, that movie holds up and gets better.
2: I really want to rewatch that. I really want to rewatch The Hateful Eight as well. Uh, yeah. I think about both of those movies
1: lately, and I would like to give them a watch. I'm thinking I'm going to go backwards since I just rewatched once upon a time in Hollywood. I'm going to go backwards through the Tarantino verse all the way back to reservoir dogs. That's cool. Uh, just not for any studious reason, but there are yeah. movies that I do like to revisit and I'd like to go backwards just to see. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um,
2: you want to wrap this puppy up?
1: yeah let's do it so we are at i like to movie on all of the things so you know like follow subscribe do all that fun stuff um we're coming up on our 200th episode which is fucking insane so uh we have exciting. something special planned for the 200th episode in terms of the we're closing another loop yes that's uh, right in terms of uh of a uh, looping of a previous episode and uh yeah you can check out uh the Movie John Podcast Network, which yes. uh, Movie Movie is a part of. You can check out MovieJohn.com. You can check out Findy.com. It's with a PH. Uh, you can also check out on Spotify my other show, Hot Property. And uh, I think that's it. I'm at Dan Scully on all the things on Twitter and Letterboxd and all that fun stuff.
2: Yeah, you can uh, check out my other show, Killer Bees Podcast, uh, ever online on Spotify um what did we just put out we just put out oh we put out an episode on casey lemons uh which nice. was a great episode loved doing it uh, i think check- i gotta
1: revisit eve's bayou before it leaves shutter because that movie Ooh, rocks yeah. but really last good. time i saw it i was probably like 19.
2: really really good and uh if you like check our twitter page i i posted some of the uh music videos from fear of a black hat which is oh, Rusty cool. uh movie that is very funny and uh the music videos from it are hilarious um and uh, yeah, follow me on uh, Letterbox and Twitter. I'm at Philadelphia. It's with an F. Um, my name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie.
1: Uh, oh, I got a uh, <laughs> I inhaled my spit when I <laughs> did that. Hang on, <clears throat> my name ah my name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. You got
2: another Coen's reference in it. F- F- yeah. Uh we all know that you like to movie movie because
0: we we like, like to to
1: movie. movie oh man yeah you know when you do that when you just like inhale but a little drip of spit goes down your neck ah